You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick old trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old trouble and drum. And kick old trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. And kick old trouble out the door. Kick him 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 out the door. Welcome to Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR. This program is streaming live, L-I-V-E, on 3CR. .org.au. The program will be podcast within the next 48 hours. The world's greatest producer and technical problem solver, <laughs> Kelly Whitworth, is with us. How are you, Kelly? I'm very well, Joe. How are you? I'm very well, but is the equipment playing up? Because I noticed you were a bit concerned. Yeah, it's playing up a bit. Is it? Yeah. I'm going to pop out and get some assistance. And yeah. can I can I start talking to the guest? Or yeah, 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 yeah. You, you don't need you don't, need you don't need my hammer, Margaret. Just... You can hear everything, Joe. You can yeah, hear everything. Yeah, yeah. You folks are good. We, of course, we're good, anything. aren't we, Margaret? <laughs> now, look. In case you're wondering who I'm talking to, you may have noticed that over the last few weeks, I've had a love affair, a virtual love affair for Margaret Kelly, who's going to be evicted from the barrack. Beacon Estate sometime after the 16th of May because that's her eviction orders. And as we're organising a lot of things to uh, assist Margaret, who asked um, public housing everybody's business for a bit of a hand because a lot of other people won't give her a hand, I thought it was nice if we brought her into the studio, learned all about Margaret and hopefully encourage you to join us on the 11th. And we'll talk about that later on. Hello, Margaret Kelly. How are you? Hi, Joe. I got two Kellys in the room. I can't believe it. Yes. <laughs> Look, you're not in a you're not in a radio station. This is not a radio studio. That is not a microphone. Right. We're, we're just chatting away in what's left of your apartment on the Barrack Beacon yes. Estate. Okay. Now, first of all, Margaret, what year were you born? 1954. Uh, were you born in Melbourne? I was actually born in New Zealand. Um, oh, well, we'll have to end the interview then. <laughs> yes. Well, I have spent a lot more of my life in Australia than I have in, in New, New Zealand. Zealand, and I am an Australian citizen. Oh, I can't deport um, you then. I can't report yes, you to the I, minister, can I? I'm sorry. The High Court said that we can't deport citizens, you know. <laughs> That's a relief. It is a relief. But let's get back. So where in New Zealand were you born? I was born in Auckland in the Green Lane Hospital. Mm-hmm. That's, um, uh, yeah. I was living actually in state housing at the time when I was born and, and my grandmother had been widowed with five children and she 
was in some of the first state housing. Right. Um, and my family was living with her at the time. So, mm-hmm. so what did you, who did your family consist of? Um, I am the youngest of four children by quite a long way. Right. I was one of the surprises. You were um, a surprise, were you? Yes. And after fought, as they say. I was. Um, How old was your mum? Oh, not so very right. old, very young when I look back now. She right. would have been in her mid-30s, but right. they got married yeah, very young. Yeah. And in those days, surprises were pretty much the norm. Normal, yes. <laughs> yes, they hadn't learnt about the rhythm method, had they? <laughs> well, I think they had. I think that, <laughs> that was, was the, the problem. problem. <laughs> they got it wrong. <laughs> yes. Well, so you're an accident of nature. That's right. Yeah, well, that's, that's right. good. It's good. You, you're, a wonder, you're a wonderful accident, Margaret. So oh, I'm very you. pleased you're here. So what was it like as a little girl living with um, your siblings and your mum? Was Dad with you or at that stage? Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So you were all, all crowded into this state housing with your grandma, were you? In, in a three-bedroomed house, but about my parents were actually teachers and um, when I was, I think, 10 months old, we mm-hmm. moved to a residential teacher's college where my parents worked. Mm-hmm. Another three-bedroom state house, but um, my grandmother came, so we were all <laughs> quite wedged in. My eldest sister, who was 11 years older than me, had to share a room with me. Um, um, did you did you top, top, was it top, top and turn, was it? No, no, uh, we uh, sort of squeezed in, but uh, I realised, you know, when you look back, you think, goodness, she was patient. <laughs> Well, yeah, especially 11-year-old. She's about to embark on life and you've got yes. this little snotty-nosed little kitty in the same room. Yes, well, that's right. Right. What was life like at school, primary school in New Zealand? Um, I didn't enjoy it very much. Um, I'd actually been going to school for three years by the time... I went to primary school because my mother was a teacher and she took me with her. <laughs> so you thought it was a bit all au fait, it was all a bit too simple, did you? I really did. <laughs> I can remember feeling insulted. <laughs> but, you know, it was school, there were 40 kids in a class. Right. Um, I was left-handed and my mother wouldn't let them change me to right-handed, so my teacher hated me. Mm. Um, and, mm. you know, all the usual thing from That's the nineteen. 19- what was that, 1959, when I went mm. to school? <laughs> you know why they wanted to change you from left to right? Not really. No. Well, they succeeded in my case. Right. Well, left in Latin is sinistra, mm. which means sinister. Yes. So left-handed children were the product of the devil. Ah, so that's why they were... That explains it all. That explains <laughs> everything about him now that I know that fact, Margaret. And I'm proud to say I'm a product of the devil. Yes. I mean, at least it was a bit more interesting than being with playing the harp with God. Right. But getting back to you, Margaret. Well, my, my mother had developed a severe stutter after they had tried to change her right. to right-handed, so that was why she was resistant. Well, and she resisted for the right reasons. Yes. So, did you go to high school? I did. Mm. I didn't have a very successful time at school, which I now know is because I had specific learning difficulties, but that was not a thing then. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually know that about myself till I was in my 40s, so that was Do you want to tell us what those learning difficulties are? Well, um... I was diagnosed with ADHD, as my son is, um, mm-hmm. but of the 
kind of sleepy kind, the inattentive right. thinking about something else all the time. So if you fall asleep, I, I'm allowed to kick yes. you to wake you up. Okay, that's, that's good. That's right. But I also have difficulties with um, kind of organising information. So right. that was troublesome as I got up into higher levels at school. Right. So I embarked on two university degrees and both time at third year it became difficult for me. What type of university degrees? Um, I did, oh, I don't know what I was doing, sociology and philosophy and the sort oh, of stuff philosophy. you do yeah, this as a young person. When you don't know what you want to do. And teacher <laughs> training, yeah, that right. was the other option when you didn't know what you wanted to do. Hmm. Oh, that's insulting. <laughs> no, it's not, no, it's normal. I, I chose philosophy because I wanted to do it, oh, not because I didn't yeah. know what I wanted to do. Well, what about you, Margaret? Well, honestly, I chose it because I had a friend who was doing a degree in philosophy and she don't said... say that. <laughs> this course is good. Why don't you do this one? So oh, there you I are. did that. Her one. friend steered her in the right direction. Did Kelly. you enjoy it? Yes, and it. You know, I learned a lot of terribly useful stuff. And it's an odd thing about university degrees is that you can complete most of one, but that counts for nothing as a qualification. So, I consider myself very quite well educated. So, mm -hmm. later on. I went back and did a degree in information technology. That was more. Mm, let's go. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go yes. back to university. We don't want to skip. We've got fifty-six minutes. Oh, okay. A lifetime, yes. Margaret. A lifetime. So, did you graduate with any pieces of paper from university? No. Well, eventually I did. But at that stage, no. At that stage, no. So, what does somebody do in New Zealand who's done three years of? philosophy and what social science and <laughs> and uh, didn't finish your teaching degree you get an administration job i i realized very quickly that new zealand teacher training was very hands-on we spent a lot of time in the classroom the kids ate me for breakfast i right. realized that was not going to be something i was going to star at um right. i did administration jobs um computers came around that was something that you could kind of work your way into with without academic qualifications um and i was certainly sick of oh you know working in an office right. and the terrible rubbish you had to put up with to do that mm. um you know that was the good old days when women women were automatically paid less than the person sitting next to them. Has so. that, that changed, Margaret? I'm <laughs> disgusted that it's changed. <laughs> I think theoretically. <laughs> theoretically. Yes. To some degree, They yes. just call the jobs different things now. Oh, but. that's right. So um, when did the uh, promised land beckon? The promised land. Oh, that's <laughs> going way, way, way into the future. Oh, all right, all right. Point. Okay. A lot of things happened. So you did um, administration work. Yes. And what happened after that? I travelled um, when I was in Britain. I got an IT job um, oh. at a university. W what university? Are we allowed Imperial to College. Imperial I, College. I know. I oh, had I like a job that. in the Cosmic Rays and Space Physics Department. Um, could, you, could you repeat that slowly again? <laughs> cosmic Rays and Space physics department when i read the advertisement i thought there might be some sort of religious group right um <laughs> but the a man called andrew engel that i will always remember gratefully thought yes. i wanted the job more than anybody else mm -hmm. um so i should have it but i think it was a bit of a come down for the staff because my predecessor kept crossing the atlantic to do programming for nasa whereas i had never 
been near a, a computer before. So, excuse me, <laughs> you got this job, although you'd never been near a computer. Yes, I yes mean, I'm did. not going to ask. And you got very, on very well with this gentleman, did you? Well, he was just a very unusual person. He yes. was a very successful physicist, right? And you know, Imperial College is kind of there with all the top places. Yep, um, yep. But he was just an unusual man. Just um, like Einstein. Yeah, this yeah. was actually meant to be a trainee position. It was very badly paid and he had mm. people applying for it with ridiculous qualifications and he thought, well, here is someone who actually needs training. Let's right. train it. Let's train um, it. And did he train you? Well, it was more like the graduate students. They were, <laughs> they were very kind to me. Um, there were many disasters. I think I cried nearly every day. Right. Um, I... I got very interested in training people to use computers afterwards because I thought there had to be an easier way. Right. Um, but I did. I, I got uh, good skills there. And so, you, so you could train me, you reckon? I could, yes. One of the things <laughs> I've specialised, I have taught people in their 90s, Joe, you would yeah, be a youngster. I'd be a um, youngster, I would be. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm very, I'm very impressed. Yes. But, uh, but you're very patient, aren't you? Well, I just find... That very interesting. Like, mm. um, you, you know, I think everybody can learn to use a computer and, mm. and should mm. be given the mm. opportunity. Did you get a badge with your name on it for Imperial College on it? No, I didn't. That was sad, oh, wasn't it? It was very sad, yes. I know, it really was because the trouble was I didn't know what Imperial College was or anything about it, so oh. I was not nearly as impressed as I should have been when I was working there. But anyway, that gave me a start in IT. Right. Um, and I did go back to New Zealand. Then I went back to the UK, managed to work my way up into being a contract computer programmer. What, what year was that? Oh, that is a very hard... 1983. Was so you were a contract computer programmer at the very beginning, 1983? Yes, yes. We were working on... I mean, I was an expert... That, that's very impressive, you know. Well, I know was, I know you're saying it's not, but it is impressive. Most people wouldn't have heard of computers in 1983. Well, it was it was in some ways it was very easy at that stage. You know, you mm. really did not need fantastic skills. I happened to know from university about a particular computer that was popular at the time from a company that was huge that no longer exists. Right. Um, you know, it's like being a dinosaur expert, really. Yes. Um, so. I was doing that. I was contracting in London. I was very pleased with myself. Um, and then I was doing a contract. I got flu. I worked through the flu. And I've been sick ever since. So that sort of made a big change in my life. How do you mean sick ever um, since? Well, I mean, you don't have to answer. Well, no, it's, it's, it's terribly relevant to my life. Right. Um, I got flu, the runny nose, and all the temperature and everything went away, but the extreme fatigue, yes. the dizziness, all of those sorts mm, of things mm. remained. Yeah. Unfortunately, I just accepted what I was told, that this was stress, um, and it uh, took about a decade and getting terribly ill to, to have it correctly diagnosed. What, what, what? This happened, did you stay in England for that decade? No, 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 no. I returned. Um, shortly after I returned to New Zealand, I met an Australian citizen. Mm. We came here 
because he needed to come here for his job. So that's how I got to Australia. That's his life. That's what they all say. They yeah, always it is. for love. They, yes, they really do. Don't right, they, Kelly, Joe? They week do. in, week out. Yeah, week yes. in, week out. We get we them here. We can predict it. Can't we, we can predict it. it it's all for love. <laughs> Which then, well, and then it peters out, but we won't go into that. <laughs> yes, well, that also happened, but by that time I was in love with Melbourne. Um, so you came to Melbourne? Yes, we came to Melbourne. What year was that? Uh, that was 1988. 88, um, right. So. so I came here with a baby. A um, baby, yep. And uh, I thought this was a much better place to raise him. Mm-hmm. Um like at that point, New Zealand had a very poor medical system. There was no childcare. Um, mm-hmm. This is the time Peggy Muldoon went on that neoliberal, the first oh, place in the world, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was actually Roger... Roger, Roger someone. Who, yeah, Roger the Dodger. Yeah. Rogernomics was Rogernomics. named after him. Yeah. He was into all this neoliberal. So, mm. you know, I couldn't afford medical treatment. Mm. Um, and, and there were no... Very, very limited infant welfare system. Um, well, you're very lucky you came in 88 because then we got rid of you, New Zealanders, from the Medicare system, didn't we? <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah. I was I was very blessed and um, mm. I always feel terribly grateful to Australia because um, I was able to do that at that time. So I've always tried to give back as much as I can. Right. So in 88, is that when you were diagnosed... No, I was not diagnosed until probably about 1998. Um, a decade after that? Yes. So. And was that after a series of tests or was it a, a, a diagnosis by exclusion? But by exclusion. There's mm. no... Test, that's right. Yes, but, you know, I always think this is a bit of a red herring because there are many illnesses that are diagnosed by symptoms. I don't know why... People have such a bee in their bonnet about myalgic encephalomyelitis because mm. it has a very distinct mm. series of symptoms. That's um, right. And mm. I had to go to a support now, now just, group. <laughs> now, hang on, hang yeah. on. Let's go back. Yes. Now, we're not all medical practitioners, okay. right? Now, a lot of our listeners aren't. Yes. Like 99.9% of them. So could you explain what that means? Okay. Myalgic encephalomyelitis encephalomyelitis, which is a terrible name for an illness that causes people to have bad memories, um, is, I think it means something like inflammation That's of the right. spine. That's right. Yes. Well, it basic, it's a, basically an inflammation of the covering of the nervous system. Okay. So, so what the actual virus does, it actually destroys or partially destroys the covering and that's why you get a lot of the symptoms because the path, the neural pathways are compromised. Yes. But how, how does that, how does that, what type of symptoms? People, you know, you can tell them all this garbage, but they don't understand. But yeah. how did it affect you personally? Okay. Well, I think what it comes down to is that you become very overreactive. So when you, when you're a little bit tired, your body says, "Oh, I'm so I can't. I've got to lie down." Um, you know, my blood pressure doesn't regulate very well, so I get very dizzy. Um, you know, people have an amazing array of symptoms, but they're mm. all to do with your nervous system overreacting right. and not regulating possibly. So at times I've had severe sensitivity to light. Um, I Many people have terrible sensitivity to sound. There are young people lying in dark rooms 
um, soundproofed because they can't bear any stimulus at all. It just, and it's a difficult thing to explain until it actually happens to you. Right. But it kind of feels like the whole world is is um, <laughs> invading you. Yes. yes. So this is 1998. Had your relationship kind of broken down by then, mainly because of the symptomatology you experienced? Oh, it was a combination of things, some difficulties on my ex-partner's part. Right. Um, But it certainly contributed. I had a young child. He was hyperactive. Mm. Not a great combination. No. Um, So... So what happened? I mean, here you are. You're a single mother. You've got major health issues. You don't own a car to sleep in. So, so what happened regarding the rent? Well, fortunately at that time there was still housing. Um, Excuse me, housing? Yes, you know, you public could actually... Public housing? You, no, no, not just public housing, housing. Just housing. I could rent a very run-down two-bedroom flat from right. a landlord that had apparently fallen out with all his children so he wouldn't do any maintenance because hmm. he wanted to leave them with a lot of problems, he said, so... Sounds good. But it was actually quite a nice flat apart from, you know, the problems. But then he did pass away and I could see the writing on the wall. My street Mm. was being gentrified. And Um, what suburb was this? That was in Windsor. Wow, very um, nice. Yes. Very nice apartments there. Have you got a few mil? (laughs) Yes. Well, now, but at the time I was in a whole street of kind of inexpensive, Mm -hmm. um, like 1980s brick Venereals, yep. Yes, so I spent a year trying to find an alternative and then I had a long time ago put my name down with the whatever they were called then, I can't remember. Oh, the Ministry of Housing, no, yes, something like some, that. something like that. But it was, it was a public thing, wasn't it? Yes, so... State government thing. At yeah. that time they actually had loans... Mm-hmm. Low interest loans, and this was a, what I imagined I would be doing. I would be buying a property, and I thought that would speed it up. Um, shortly afterwards, now, uh, hang on, I'm just going one step back. Were you actually still working, or you? Yes, I was working. What yes. in IT? Um, no, that was. I discovered that I could not manage to work full time mm-hmm. and come home and be nice to a cranky child after. Yep, yep, I understand that. So I was wanting to work part-time and nobody wanted me part-time in IT. So very odd. I could have had many jobs full-time, but mm, mm. that sort of weird. And now they, now they only want them part-time in IT don't yes. they? and to work from home. I, I really wouldn't know anymore. I've, right. I've lost that. But I started doing training because at that time PCs were coming in. Right. And... Uh, I had fortunately done one contract on PCs just before I stopped working, so I had a slight knowledge of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you're doing, were you doing trading as a sole trader, or were you actually working for somebody? Um, I started off employed at a neighbourhood house. That right. was a very new thing. Um, we had a student with disabilities who was not being well treated in the neighbourhood house, so. I volunteered to work with them at Urella and then they employed me. So I was working with adaptive technology. Um, I discovered most of the students I had couldn't read and write, um, which was a bit of a bother for doing office training. Um, So I started incorporating reading and writing activities um, 
And, well, I just gradually drifted sideways until I was an adult education teacher. Teacher, right. Um, so did you, at this, is this when you obtained your Australian citizenship? Or? Uh, yes, I can't remember the year. It would have hmm. been 19, early 90s. Can we so, go back a, a moment? I'm curious, how did you develop your illness uh, with your just, spine? Just a flu. A f- from a yeah, flu? Yeah, it's like, it's like COVID now. It's like the yes. long COVID. Oh, my goodness. People, people don't understand that you can get a virus, just a normal virus, and can have profound implications on, on your nervous system, usually the covering of the nervous system. It's like um, having... It's like somebody ripping the skin off your hand yeah. and you, that's open to the elements, yeah, yes, which yes. means you can get infections. You, so it's the same with with mm. a lot of post-viral syndromes. And because yes. you can't quantify it with a test, a lot of people used to think it was psychological and, and there was no diagnosis. And they said you're a bit of a, you know, the psychological issue go away. All, all of that. Mm. And unfortunately for about a decade, I believed that it was a psychological issue and mm. I was working terribly hard mm. and kind of throwing myself at brick walls to overcome this psychological issue. Mm. And unfortunately, that probably made me sicker. That's um, right, because then your autoimmune system, because it's overstressed, then you can't deal. It yes. goes on. It's like, it's like when you get chicken pox. You can get shingles 30 to 40 to 50 years later because the virus is still in your system. But this is, So it can be... Any virus, not everybody gets it. It's just an exceptionally small percentage, but yes. the small percentage that get it's a devastating impact on their, mm. them personally oh, and sorry. the people around sorry them. Sorry about that. Well, it no. was annoying. <laughs> I'm not sorry. It's, it's part of my bread and butter. Thank you very much, Margaret. <laughs> well, We're not all as kind as you, Kelly. <laughs> I'm glad you had that attitude, Joe. but most, most doctors just say, please go away, but... That's, we don't know what to do with you. Well, they um, don't. Neither do I. I mean, even when I was diagnosed, that was it was like, yeah. so you've got this. And I go, well, what's next? And they go, huh? I don't, well, know. Well, I don't know. What percentage of the population does it affect? Do you know what <gasps> that statistic is? Uh, quite a substantial one, much more than you would possibly realise. Because mm. people go from, a, you know, there's a very wide range of effects so people who can live a normal life but just feel extraordinarily tired every day um, mm. to as I said people who are in dark rooms who mm. are totally dependent on other people for everything and it's rare but if it's one percent that's 250,000 Australians yes. that's the yes. way it works it's not as I, if yes I think it is something like one percent yes um, yeah. so it's become much more recognized and with long COVID Mm. I mean, it is similar enough to uh, long COVID to be considered identical, I think. Mm. Um, so that's... Sudden- it's, a, it's a similar post-viral syndrome. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Let's get back yes, to you because we're running out of time. We've yes. already we've chatted for half an hour. I mean, Have we? Kelly's... <laughs> She flashes up a piece oh, of paper should, at um, me. Oh, do our little... Oh, you do the little thing. You, you, you do the little thing. We're listening. <laughs> you are listening. We are on <laughs> Radical Australia on 3CR Community Radio with Joe Toscano, Kelly Whitworth and Margaret Kelly, who's heading up a campaign to save her home on the Barrack Beacon Estate in Port Melbourne. See how good she is. I couldn't have done yes. that. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03-9419-8377. Be a part of your community radio station. Now, 
Okay. When did this little state or public housing turn up in your life? Okay. So years after I put my name down, I suddenly Mm. got a letter that said, a house is available for you. I had forgotten. You'd forgotten, right. <laughs> I'd even put my name down. It was like six, seven years after I Is had. that all? That's amazing. Yes. That's um, express these days. That- <laughs> yes. Well, these days I would not get into public housing. No. That would, yes. you know, merely being yeah. um, low income and sick. Just no, it's not enough. Does not do anything yeah. for yeah. you these days. Yeah. But. Um, at that point, my son had developed a lot of difficulties at school, which were undiagnosed at that point, and I was just accepting that I could not work full-time. The school were telling me he can't, you know, have long days in after-school care. Um, so, great school, but what do I do? Yep. Um, so, this came up, and I thought, well, I'll take five years to kind of re-establish ourselves, to establish my son in school. He'll be fine mm-hmm. in five years. Um, and then I'll be able to go and get that full-time job and buy a house. Right. <laughs> um, and instead I got put into, knowingly put into a house in spite of a stack of doctor's letters where they had actually uh, relocated the people from it because of allergy problems. So right. they put me and my son, within mm. two weeks I'd called an ambulance for him. And so I mm. wasted that five years that I thought was going to fix everything, um, fighting to get out of this place. And um, after, I think, four and a half years, they said, look, we've got this place in Barrack Beacon. I said, where? Um that's it. That's the only choice you've got. You have to move in the next two weeks. So I was sort of parachuted into Barrack Beacon mm. um, with the very grateful help of a number of neighbours and friends who helped me do the move. Mm. And how old was your son then? Uh, he was 11, I think. He 11. was just hitting adolescence. So Barrack Beacon Estate is actually in the notorious Port Melbourne, South <laughs> Melbourne region. Is that correct, Margaret? Oh. In those days? I assume you were warned off going. I was. I <laughs> was told you cannot possibly let them put you there. It's so dangerous. Right. It had such a reputation, which mm. was just, I mean, after I'd been there about a couple of weeks, I thought, oh, this is the nicest place in Melbourne. Um, you know, people were kind. I had been struggling with shopping bags for in Melbourne for a decade by then. Um, and people said, give me a bag, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. People chatted on the bus. Um, it was a lovely, friendly, supportive environment. Um, right. Could you describe the estate for us at that stage? Okay. Um, it was built, finished in the early 80s. Um, it's a concrete design, I suppose you'd call it sort of, I, I believe it's called late-stage brutalism. That's yes, what an yeah, architect has labelled it as. Yep. Um, but it's extremely nicely designed. The places have big rooms. Um, each, it's designed around a series of courtyards that form small communities. Um, so you get to know the people in your own little courtyard well. You know, the children all play in the courtyard 
um, the mums and dads come out to watch so they get to know each other. Mm. And sometimes we have these amazing um, diversity of children and mums and dads out there all watching their children. Um, it's always been a very safe place. A policeman I was talking to said they hardly ever get called there. So how many people would live on, used to live on the okay. Barrack Beacon Estate? Between 250 and 300, I think. So um, that, that's what, about 90 units, is it? 89. 89. Yeah. And, and like you said, they're big rooms, well-designed. We had a caller on Talkback with Attitude a few weeks ago, a gentleman called Raymond from Kensington, and he's client he said that the estate was listed in an architectural book right and it was actually designed by a very well-known italian public housing architect and that's why it's it was designed in that way yes so in the 1980s the state government at that particular point in time i think it was the kane labor government was very keen to try to overcome the problems created by creating multi-storey. Yeah. So they had these special kind of units developed. They also did a lot of spot purchasing around the city and the regions. I've got a number of patients I've, for many years in a home visit who are in ministry homes, suburbs all over Melbourne. Yes. Yeah. So you are yes. happy there? Yes. It, it really, um, you know, it took me a while to adjust because I was made to uproot my son yet again. Right. And... You know, I honestly thought I was on the moon because there was this wasteland across the road yes. um, where an old, where it had been an oil storage facility, so the land was contaminated. Um, apparently they thought it was fine to build an, an oil storage facility opposite housing at that stage. But, mm. um, but then, I don't know, a couple of years after I moved there, I thought, oh, what's going on down there by the tram track? bulldozers were driving round, fences went up and before we knew what would happen we had Beacon Cove across the road which is Beacon uh, Cove Beacon Cove popularly. Excuse me yes. excuse me madam Yes is this housing public housing estate next to Beacon Cove It is across the road from Beacon Cove How did you feel about these people Moving into your neighbourhood. <laughs> well, there was a lot of dispute. Um, there was a story told by a councillor, which I've always hoped was apocryphal, that they'd been contacted by somebody from the other side of Beacon Cove who said they found it distasteful living opposite public housing and couldn't we be moved somewhere else. Um, right. So there were... There was right. tensions, but really, you know, I, I really thought that if people bought million-dollar properties without noticing public housing was over the road, probably they needed to get better housing advice or something. And most likely they actually got it cheaper. Yes. Well, well, <laughs> and that's why they bought it. Probably. It was very odd because yeah. this had been an area... Like, I literally... I had a workmate driving me home one night and they said, oh, this is a terrible area. Mm. You know, there's some parts you just shouldn't go to. And I said, right, turn left here. And they went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that was the reputation. And that was only 20 years ago. Oh, that's right. Um, Painters and dockers. Yes. 
the criminal elements. Yes, but I think, yes. you know, painters and dockers shot each other. They didn't that's bang right. old ladies on the head for their handbags. I, no, no. I never felt unsafe. No, I'm just um, I'm just being facetious. Yes, that, you know. that's right. And yeah. that was over by then. I mean, I, uh, I had some interesting patients in the 70s in that area. That's all I'll say. Yes, yes. <laughs> Very I, interesting people. We did have a doctor who practised there who was mm. apparently nicknamed Dr Death and kept practising until his 80s. Yes. And he acquired that nickname for sewing things up without asking questions. Exactly. <laughs> yes. I wasn't his apprentice, you can relax. <laughs> so your child went to school in the area? Um, or did he go to a special school? It, it's that's a complicated question. Mm. I, I wound up homeschooling him for a while right, because right. under that current government, schools were closed and classroom size got yes, a much bigger. Yes. And what he once, you know, there were ten more kids in so the class. So you're talking during the Kennedy era yes. when you moved there. Yep. We we he didn't cope, mm. um, and he wasn't, you know, at ten years old, he wasn't reading and writing, and mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and once I got at home and just did what. The educational psychologists were recommending he started learning so fast that the idea of putting him back without, you know, mm. sorting anything out without having anything in place. So I wound up teaching him at home for three years. Mm. I understand your young lad is now a, almost a middle-aged man and he's leading he a very successful life. He is. He lives in Tokyo. He's a computer game developer. Mm-hmm. Imagine... My horror when he got a job doing the very thing I'd been trying to stop him from doing all those years. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't playing the game. He was designing them. He was yes. making a buck out of it. <laughs> well, that, that, you know, hadn't been an option when, when right. you know, it was a new profession. Um, right. So, yeah, and he writes so well. Mm. I'm just so proud of him that mm. he's, like, even when he left school, he was still struggling with the sort of technicalities of writing. And he actually corrected me on a spelling mistake the other day. So so he's another public housing success, he like is. Mr Albanese. He's yes. forgotten where he came from. Yes. Well, yeah. he, he hasn't. He's actually very upset. Mm. He's actually come back to, to, you know, help me sort things out in the house. No, no, hang on. No, hang mm. on. Let's, let's go back a few things. Now, how long have you lived on the Barrack Beacon Estate? 25 years. So mm. what happened a few years ago just to create a little bit of a hassle for you? What with Did, the, was there a knock on the door or something? Well, I'm a, there was a knock on the door, but I am a bit slow when I get out of bed. <laughs> right. So by the time I got to the door, nobody was there. But mm. apparently, half a dozen people in sort of corporate attire with security guards mm. went around the estate in pairs and banged on people's doors and um, said. Well, I don't know what they said, and people were kind of too shocked to really report. Um, mm. This was the very first this yep. was, contact made. Yep. This was the 13th of December 2021. Yep, which there, is not long ago. No, there had never been any discussion of this ever happening, and I never thought it was happening because we were part of the historic Garden City. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought nobody would ever do that. Um, and because of the quality of it. Anyway, I came home. I was doing a rehabilitation program, so I came home a little bit tired and flustered, opened this letter thinking, oh, my goodness, what is this one? You know, expecting the usual Rent rise, yeah. Yep. And it just said, 
you will be relocated because the estate is to be demolished. Like, no hedging there, just this you is happening. Will, was your name on the letter? I think it was, yes. I yeah. Yes, it was on it. I Margaret Kelly, you will be relocated. Yes. Ring this number. Yes. Right. Something like that. There were five pages. Mm. But there was actually no information in it. It right. was all vague, you Gob- know. You know, political gobbledygook. We are building modern, sustainable, accessible, energy efficient. Ah, oh, you've used every word. Yes. <laughs> Did well, the, what was was social, community, affordable, or inclusive housing in that? Yes. Ah. Oh. Yes. Yes. Oh, they should go into a museum. Yes. Well, it should because every time. A member of the government has asked about what's going on. That's what they say, word for word, obviously. Some PR person has right. worked it and, out. And who's going to live there now? Um, well, their plan, such as it is, there is mm. no plan, but their plan is to demolish it starting in June to yep. the ground. June? Yes. Right. And then <laughs> apparently they have a tender out, but nobody's picked it up. And mm. um, we'll make sure nobody picks it up. Yeah, well, the whole thing is just very interesting because mm. they're spending a lot of money relocating people. Mm. Um, you know, first of all, they tried to move them to the dross of public housing and, of course, people wouldn't do that. No. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's all been a very strange process. So in the last process. year and a half, how many, how many original residents or how many of the apartments have now been closed down? Um, I believe about 80. I think there's maybe eight or nine households. I keep thinking mm. there's six and then I discover it's like living in a bombed-out ruin, you know, you suddenly yeah. discover people you didn't know about. Right. And what, are, they, um, are, they, are they holdouts like you? No. They're, they're just no. waiting to be relocated to no. somewhere suitable? Most people mm. are far too vulnerable and far too scared. Right. Like some people, their reaction was just... Like terror, yeah, you know. Yeah. If the if Homes Victoria had arrived with guns, they couldn't have been scared of because That's right. the fear of there are people who have been homeless, people who have had to live in very unsafe housing, um, mm. or very you know unhealthy housing, and they just had a terror that if they didn't totally cooperate. And, you know, we're even seen talking to me, for instance, that this would somehow mean that they'd be put in a one-bedroom flat in Melton, you Mm, know. mm. Um, That Melton seems to be a big fear. Or Morwell. (laughs) Yes. Or or Leanne Gaffer. Yes. Now, let's get him back to this. Yeah. So... Where have people gone? Oh, Oh, Have they been gone? They, they, uh, well, there was a minority of people who, for various reasons, wanted to move and Mm. needed to move. Mm. Um, and had been trying to move for years, so things have worked out quite well for them. So, so where they've been moved to, is that going to be permanent? Yes, for yes. for those people, you know, they wanted yeah. to move near family, and yet they've been told they can come back when it's once no, no, it's no, redeveloped. No. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. No. Yeah, they have been told that, but reality is, in all the other developments, that like. Mm-hmm. In Abbotsford Street in North Melbourne, where they were told that five years later, 
there is no social housing on that site. Yeah, um, the same as Northcote, where they've yes. just demolished. It's just an empty bomb site, and it goes on and on. Yes. They're given this, and then when they redevelop it, most of it goes to the private developer. About 10% to 15% becomes social housing, which is private housing. Yes. And then they're usually one-bedroom units. They're not family-orientated yes. spaces, yes. and that's the plans, isn't it? What they What we've been told is... Um, we think about 350 to 500 units will be put on a site that now has 89. Um, Goodness. 100 of those will be what they term social housing, mm. but that is run by private organisations who, um, although they're not for profit in themselves, they have private investors, sometimes from slightly questionable sources. Mm. Um, mm. And the reality is that in these developments before, only 20% of the people ever go back yeah. because by the time it's done and because the housing that is built is so different. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's usually the older people who just need a room, basically. A yes. It's not families, they, they, yes. they dissipate. I want to get back to you Yeah. because that's what this program is about today. Yes, sorry. <laughs> what has made you hold out? Why have you refused to interact with with the department and why do you want to speak to the Minister, Mr. the Honourable, very Honourable Colin Brooks? Because they won't answer questions. I started off thinking, gosh, this must be a dreadful mistake mm. and wrote to my local MP, who was Martin Foley. Um, <laughs> the Minister for Housing. Yeah, well, he <laughs> wasn't by then. Great track record, great track record, yes. that and what actually happened then was that he sent the letter to Richard Wynne, who sent it to the relocation team. So you're complaining about the relocation team, but the only people you ever wind up speaking to is the relocation team. Mm. And I actually found that rather frightening because, you know, um, and something that occurred to me early on is how very similar the strategies they use are to strategies that have been used all over the world to move out you know, minority populations. That's right. But what, what, what made, what's, you've got to the stage where you've received an eviction order for the 16th of May, which obviously yes. you'll contest yes. in VCAT. Yes. Right. They want to start demolishing in June. Right. Why am I holding out? Why are you holding okay. out? I mean, it's, it's Margaret Kelly versus the state. <laughs> well, Yes. It um, makes the castle look like an amateur land. That 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 really was not my intention, but it's like they won't answer questions. Everything you put to them, mm -hmm. they say we are build, building affordable, blah, 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 sustainable, energy efficient, modern. Mm -hmm. Like they actually seem to think modern's a good good adjective yeah, in relationship using, to architecture. They should be using postmodern, but that's, that's another thing. Yes. But um, so first of all that, and we had a an information session that was actually organised by the Victorian mm. Public Tenants Association, mm. not by Homes Victoria. And um, the first things, you know, our first question is why? You know, mm. we live in nice homes. Why are you pulling, wanting to pull them down? And the only answer they could give us was that they wanted to build underground car parks, which seemed to be a very odd way of designing <laughs> places. Mm. Um so we actually suggested that maybe they could renovate the existing buildings. What? 
that there Renovate. was actually lots of room for, you know, actually increasing the housing. And, well... Are you mad woman? Yes, exactly. They were just very... They, they were amazed, you know, like, oh, we never thought of that. Um, so this went on. I wrote various letters. I'd get this letter back from the relocation team saying, we are building modern, sustainable, accessible, energy efficient <laughs> housing. Now we'd like to talk to you about where you want to move to. So, yes. Um, and so that just made me cross. Um, mm. And... You know, the one thing I do quite well is sit in one place, so I thought, right. well, I can just sit here. And let them, and let them evict me. Yes. All right, now, a few weeks ago, you tundled up to us losers on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, public housing, everybody's business. Now, why did you trundle up to the steps of the Victorian Parliament House? Okay, well... That's, that's in your buggy. Yeah. Yes, yes, that was, well... I like people who are actively doing things, mm. um... I think writing communications to our current government is a dead loss. Right. So I was happy to come and join you standing on the Parliament steps and wave my own sign for Barrett Beacon and other people who came along. So that was my initial interest. But then um, I did want to organise some sort of action specific to Barrett Beacon and... Oh, I'm just, it's not something I'm accustomed to doing and you seem to know what you were doing and you had a big banner, so I you, talked to you. Yes, and we came <laughs> up. Look, we've taken Margaret's situation on board, not just because of Margaret, but because of what's going around, what's happening in this state with the privatisation of public housing. And I'm also really annoyed because we put a lot of pressure on Martin Foley before the 2018 election and we were promised a 1,000 new public housing units which have not even materialised in the planning stages. So we would like you to dress up in your Sunday best. I will. Sunday best. I'll be using a coat and tie, and I'll even have polished shoes, which people who know me, I don't usually have polished shoes. And at 12.30 next Thursday, next Thursday, that's the 11th of May, at 11.30... Will be on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, where Margaret Kelly will be giving a media conference. We've sent out one media release. We'll send out another one next week. Let's see if the government guild at ABC or the corporate-owned media is interested in a disability pensioner who's 68 who's going to be evicted from housing which can be repaired and expanded. So what are we going to be doing on the steps? Nothing. We're just having... A media conference, and at media twelve o'clock, and at twelve o'clock, we'll be wandering down with Margaret in our Sunday best to the minister's office at Fifty Lonsdale Street, where Margaret once again will politely ask for a appointment with the minister, yes. because she has no intention of moving. She will be ev- appealing the eviction order in VCAT, and if they want to demolish this estate they need to think because there's a lot of people out there who are sick and tired of the privatization policies of this so-called labor government so if you're going to go to one action this year one action we encourage you margaret and myself and everybody else of public housing everybody's business and defending and extend public housing to come along to the media conference at 11 30 to show that margaret is support and then to walk with us down to the Minister's office. Now, I understand, Margaret, that the Honourable 
Mr. Colin Brooks is starting to feel a bit of heat and you've got a little meeting tomorrow for some of the bureaucracy, is that correct? Yes, they have asked us to come and speak with some of the bureaucracy. I don't know how, I mean, Mm. the particular issue, we have taken a petition to Parliament and what we have, we've been lucky enough to be able to engage a not-for-profit architecture company Um, who have done beautiful plans for how you can renovate Barrett Beacon. Just the renovation alone will increase the number of public housing by 20 units, by 20%. Um, They have done plans which exceed every benchmark that the government is putting forward. Mm-hmm. Um, for all the modern, sustainable, accessible, livable... <laughs> Affordable communities. Yes, all of that. Um, and so far, it's just been ignored. Right. Um, now, I've been able to show these plans to a couple of people who are architects mm. of my acquaintance, and their comments have been things like, wow, this is so interesting. Um, mm. Well, Margaret... Let's encourage people, as time has run out, yes. to join us for the media conference at 11.30 next Thursday on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. It's not just about Margaret Kelly. It's about this government's ideology about privatising public housing. And then if the Minister hasn't organised an appointment to chat to you about this, we will walk down with you in our Sunday best to the Minister's office in order for you to obtain that appointment. Yes. Because we'll... people of Victoria need to know what's happening. Yes. Now, Margaret Kelly, I'd like to congratulate you for standing up. Um, it's not often we see this happening. You're quite right. People are terrified because it yes. means they have nowhere to go. And yes. that's why people say, why don't they fight back? It's not for the people who are... Ne- not in a position to fight back to fight back. It's for us who are in a position where we can fight back and assist people like you for us to do the right thing. Yes. So if you're going to come to one action this year, come along at 11.30 and then walk with us at midday. Please come. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you very much for giving us your time. Thank you, Kelly Whitworth. And thank you, the 200,000 listeners we have to Radical Australia. And I don't tell lies, do I, Kelly? No. Good on you, Margaret. (laughs) Thank you. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the Schaefer Award Theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nubs. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. 
NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on report from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still lights of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on Search for Tomorrow, because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry Arm, woman liberationist, and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Keyes, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or The Rare Earth. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.